I am the might before the sword, the tremors in the spear shaft. I craft my ways from blazes of firestorms, absorb the failings of deadened ends to render the floors I dance upon. I am the spaces between applause, the roars of hearts running through heaven's halls. I breathe the forms of light and silence, stall the course of cosmic riots. I am the glory of the giants Manasu, Sagamatha, watchmen of the Asian plains. They yield my name, made famous through the cries of albatross flocks, inflamed in Pacific fires. I am dressed in the spray of Nevada dunes, clothed in the shadows of Sahara caves. I am the light of lunar flames, fleshing the rains of Amazonia. I paint the trains of Antarctic quests, release dominion to desert Panthera. I authorize the remains of Aztec and Inca that bloom through the visions of mountain tribes. I ride the skylines, breathe the signs, ignite the paths of astronomy's eyes. I am the unheard, heard in the storms that burn on my words. I am the yearned for, I am the word. I emerge deciduous from the wetlands of your cries, rise through the moments you wake. I bring the dawns that shake the fevers from your remembrance. I am here, I am imminent. I am he who crosses the plains through which you strayed. Discover the parts extinction seared. I dust away the dried remains of tears. Drain the lakes of your regrets. I wet the wells, till the soil, placate the toil, quell the rages, sow the broken pages with my belief in you. I bring the you you have never quite met. I am the desire that keeps your pillow wet. I am the heartbeat you seek when you chase after dreams. In the reachings and sighs, you are looking for me. In the body touching body, it is me you seek. In the groans and the longings, it is me you seek. In the yearning dream, in the need to be seen. In the love me, love me, it is me you seek. In the breath drop wonders, gasping hunger. In the touch of a stranger that makes you feel younger. In the books and the fables, in the this is me labels, in the is this me, is this me, in the hear me, hear me, say my name, in the touch me, find me, need me, find me, in the aching pain, in the love, the music, the beats, the taste, in the heat and the need, in the need for embrace, in the colour, the gaze, the meaning, the desire, in the flame of the voice, in the spirit of the fire, when you cry for for you to reach. I reach for you and wait. When you lie half broken and awake, I am the watchman of your sleep. I wait and wait till the shakings cease. I am the truth they call release. When the darkness flares and starts to speak, I sculpt the shades of daybreak. It is me you seek. share a verse with you. It's Hebrews 12, 2. And I just want to say how, um, just how blessed I am that you 
you know, for those of you tuning in online and for those of you that are here partaking with us today, just in, in a time of fellowship, it's amazing. And um, Hebrews 12.2 says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion. Amen. And um, that's what I was going to say. I was going to say I'm so blessed to be surrounded by such witnesses <laughs> because that's what it says in the prior verse. <laughs> I threw myself off, but we are surrounded by a huge cloud of witnesses. Amen. And it's, it's the witnesses in faith that came before us, those that we've known that have passed before us. They've ran the race and we're still here and we're still, you know, called to to push on. So it says we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him. He endured the cross, um, disregarding its shame. And now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. I just kept reciting that this week was just going through my mind. You know, Lord, you are the author and the perfecter of my faith. You are the author. How amazing is it to think that we have someone who has written out the story of our lives before we were even created. Amen. And how precious we are to him who has so many to care for, but yet we're still precious in his eyes. And I just wanted, and I, I come up here with a reminder every week because it's so easy to lose sight of who our God is in the midst of everything. But I was talking to my sweet friend Candace the other day, and she was saying how she looked up at the mountains, and this was before last week when we had the first set of snow when the mountains were covered because I think we got more snow this time. And just like we were watching in the video, you know, how can we look out in our world and for some, you know, who completely just disregard the existence of God. But yet all we need to do is just look outside, you know, and then Miss Carla had a video short clip on Instagram yesterday. And I was like, are you on the 15? Like, it's so close, but yet so far away, you know, and it's snowing. And just to think that the elements have to be perfect, the temperature, the water, you know, there's so much that goes into just the the creation, but just the the effects of what we live through in weather right? And how marvelous that is if you allow yourself to just get caught up in the greatness of God. And then not just, then not to, to, you know, disregard ourselves because our parts are so intricately woven together. There's so many pieces that, you know, science can say they figured it out, but have they really figured it out? Amen. So, Think of God, the author and perfecter of your faith, the author and perfecter of your life, and just give him praise, give him acknowledgement, give him glory, because he's worthy. Amen? So I just want to remind you of that. I want to leave you with that for this week. So no matter what you're facing, you know, we count joy in every 
battle because that is where our God is. He hasn't left us. He will never forsake us. And he is with us in the midst of whatever it is that we're facing, with our joys and with our trials, with our victories, with our defeats. He's in it all. Amen. Amen. So let's just give glory to God today. Lord, we recognize you for who you are. We come acknowledging your name today, Lord. We unite our faith together, Father God, because you are in the midst, Lord Jesus. And we just thank you for your presence today, Lord. We thank you for your spirit just blanketing us today, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for allowing us to feel your peace and your love because I know that it's going out to those that are under the sound of my voice today, Lord, because it's what they need, Lord. Lord. They're crying out to you, Abba, Father. And you are just so kind and loving to just incline your ear to hear them today, Lord. So I pray, Father God, for every person in this room. I pray for every person that is watching, Lord. You know their needs, Lord Jesus. You know their hearts, Lord Father God. You know their physical elements, Lord, their, 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 what they need as far as healing or breakthrough, Father God. You know it all. And you are in the midst of us today. And we give you praise and glory. And we say, whatever it is according to your will, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven today. Release it onto your children, Father God. And we'll receive it with open arms and with a heart of gratitude. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen. And so um, for those of you here, again, I want to thank you. It's so it's such a blessing to see those that are here in the house of the Lord today and those of you tuning on online. If you haven't a chance, had a chance to share, and for those of us in here, share this worship experience. And um, we do, like I'll tell you, every week we have our little box in the back if you want to give a tithe or an offering. We are eternally grateful because it just doesn't, get sewn into our ministry but so many more ministries amen but if you want to give a gift from where you are if you're watching online you can text the word give to 1-833-414-0165 that's for you miss carla what what <laughs> we were talking about that before christmas and i she wasn't here last week to hear me recite it without having to look at my cheat sheet so <laughs> i had to bust it out again <laughs> Uh, so again, it's one eight three three four one four zero one six five, and with that, I'll bring up our pastor. Amen. And to you at home, I'm glad you joined us physically, physically, and physically right where you are at physically. Amen. And so um, I'm excited to bring forth the word. Uh, awesome, powerful time of, of worship. I was thinking if, if drums can sing, they sung today because uh, Alec was on point on those drums. And so I enjoyed really just worship. And uh, I hope you uh, did as well. Let's go before the Father in, in prayer uh, before we dive into his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before you today, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, for the, for the ability to come before you today, Lord, and worship you, Heavenly Father, in one body and one accord, Lord, whether it be uh, physically, Lord, or distant, Heavenly Father. We are one body, Heavenly Father. We are the church. 
We thank you for that, Lord. I ask you right now, Lord, that as we dive into your word, Heavenly Father, I ask you, Lord, to allow it to come to life, Heavenly Father. Allow it to speak to us, Heavenly Father. Allow it to penetrate our inner being, Lord, and allow it to impact our lives, Heavenly Father, where we will never be the same, Lord. I ask you, Heavenly Father, that you do a work in and through us today, Lord. And we give you the glory, and we give you the honor, and we give you the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning, uh, my sermon is titled Community of Unity. And if you've missed us the last few weeks, we've, uh, uh, God has given us a, a word, and that is the word belong. And we belong together. Even more importantly is we belong to the body of Christ. Even more importantly than that is we belong to Christ. Amen? And so last week, we looked at the unit of unity. We all are one unit, but we are a unit that is united. Amen. And we looked at Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, and there was four things that we must do. One was become a prisoner, right? And you think, prisoner? I don't want to become a prisoner. You can become a prisoner of the world, or you become a prisoner to God. One or the other, right? Choose, as Ms. Candace said earlier, choose who you will serve. Amen. You can be a prisoner to, to the world or to God. We also must live out our divine calling because we've said it over the last few weeks. We all have a purpose. We all have a place. We all have a position in the body of Christ. We also must display characters of Christ likeness. And finally, we must focus on the one. Right. Focus on the one. I'm not talking about one thing in front of you. I'm talking about the one thing who rules everything, which is God. Amen. We have to focus on the one. This morning, we're going to go back to the book of Acts. I believe we're going to be in the book of Acts for a few weeks here. We'll see where God leads us. But we're going to go back to, uh, to Acts. And I say back to Acts because a few weeks ago, we looked at Acts. We looked at Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2. We bounced around those first two chapters a few weeks ago. And we saw that the Holy Spirit fell upon the early church, right? We saw the beginnings of the early church, the day of Pentecost. We, 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 we witnessed, and we witnessed that the church was born. And we, we look at the early church, and we see that they had a huge impact on the world around them. They did some amazing things. And we look at that, and, and, and we have to understand that the, 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 the Holy Spirit empowered them to do those works, right? But the Holy Spirit did not just empower them. The Holy Spirit also empowers who? Us today, right? Because the Holy Spirit is the same as it was back then, as it is today, as it is tomorrow, amen? But the other thing that impacted them was their togetherness. It was their unity. It was their community that was, that was able for them to, to, to do some amazing things. The Holy Spirit combined with the unity and the church was powerful, amen? This morning, we're going to see again the church was working as a community of unity. In the beginning of chapter, uh, beginning chapters of, of, of Acts, we see that the church is, is smoking, right? I'm not talking about they're smoking. I'm talking about they're hot, right? They're blazing on fire. I got to, you know, refrain, change my words there. They weren't smoking. They were smoking hot, right? They were on fire for the Lord. And thousands of people we see in the book of Acts, thousands of people were added to the body of Christ, right? They had thousands of people upon thousands of people were brought to Christ. The apostles were healing, they were preaching, they were teaching, they were planning churches. And we know from earlier on in chapter 4, if you go back before our text, that they ran into some issues, some opposition. Life wasn't easy for them. Life's not easy for us. We're going to run into oppositions, right? Sometimes we say, I give it all to God, why is this happening to me? But let's go back to the Bible, right? See that they face oppositions, Right? They face oppositions. We will face oppositions. They did it. We see this in, in earlier in chapter 4. But what happened was that, that Peter and John, they were jailed. 
right? And of course, they had nothing on Peter and John. They were just speaking the gospel, so they let him go. But they gave him a warning. They said, hey, listen, Peter, John, I want you to shut up about Jesus, right? Don't teach. Don't preach in the name of Jesus. You can't say it. Don't do it, right? And they threatened them. And they said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to stand strong, and we're going to push into what God has told us to. You may be our leaders, but we answer to a higher calling, which is God, and God has told us to do this, so we're going to push forward and do it. And they did it, amen? They continued preaching the gospel. We know Luke wrote the book of Acts. And, and after Peter and John was released, Luke took a pause in his writing about what was going on with Peter, John, and, and the early disciples. And he writes about the inner workings of the early church. He provides us with some, some nuggets, I'm going to call them, and how their early church operated, how they had so much success. And these nuggets are going to be found in the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5. In Acts, and I know we know the story about what happened in Acts chapter five, but we do we know the story before exactly what happened in Acts chapter four. The first experience I want to go over is a positive experience. It's an edifying experience. It's a feel good experience. It's an experience that we say, "Oh yeah, I want to experience that," like they, like the early church did. And then we'll see in chapter five a warning, a terrifying, a a, a sobering. Experience. And I find this interesting as I was reading this week about the end of uh, uh, Acts 4 and the beginning of Acts 5 and, and how they contrast and how they're, they're different and how Luke, you know, put it together really from, 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 from the inspiration of God, put these two examples, these contrasting examples of the early church in his writing. So we're going to look over that today. We're going to be jumping over between the New Living, uh, the NIV and also the New King James Version. But verse 32, Acts chapter 4 out of the New King says this, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. The first nugget I want us to see is unity is established through one way. Unity is established through the gospel. Unity is established through the gospel. Luke tells us that the church was what? United? He says in one heart, one soul, and they had all things, he says, in what? In common. Let me tell you, this was tough when you think about it. Luke wasn't talking about the 12 disciples. Luke wasn't talking back to the 150 that we see earlier on in Acts. Luke was talking about a multitude of people. And we think, well, how much is a multitude of people? What does he mean that they were united? How many are we talking about? Five, ten, twenty, a hundred, a thousand? What we see here in Luke 4, 4, Luke is talking about there was 5,000, okay? Luke chapter 4, verse 4 says, however, many of those who heard the word believed, right? So they were hearing the word, and they became what? Believers, right? Then he continues on. He says, the number of the men, right? Someone say men. Okay, that's a key. The number of the men came to be about 5,000 people, right? The church was united. 5,000, about 5,000 people came to be believers. 5,000 people. That's a lot of people. But what you have to understand is this. Luke writes 5,000 men. He didn't say 5,000 people, right? Back then, we have to understand the times. They didn't count every single head that was there. They counted the head of the household, which was the men, right? So he says 5,000 men. Now, bear with me for a minute. If each man had a wife, you have 10,000 people. If each uh, couple had a child, you have 15,000 
people. When you're talking about a unified body, right? Now, we know not every man had a wife. We know not every couple had a child. But we knew that they also, they just didn't have one child, right? There was no protection back then. They had probably 5 and 10 and 15. I'm just being real honest with you, right? So there's a lot of people when you think about it. You get the idea. There's a lot of people, right? And they talked about they were all united. Right? If the men believed, you know that the what? The, 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 the wife followed. The children followed. So for argument's sake, let's call it not 5,000 people, but let's be conservative. 10 to 15,000 people, right? That's a lot of people. It's like a stadium, right, at, at the Citizen Business Bank or Toyota Center or whatever it's called in Ontario. A lot of us have been there. We watched concerts there, hockey there, basketball there. One day, hopefully, we'll return there, right? It was, it's fun time. But think about that. That kind of stadium holds, I think, like 10,000 people. You know, and when you're talking about 10,000 people, right, they're all united, and, and not, they're, even them are not united, right? You ever go to a hockey game, it's like a battle there. You have people who love one, game, one team and other people who don't like the other team, right? It's a battle there. But think about that. That many people, 10,000 people can fit in that arena. 10,000 people united in one heart, one body, and one soul. I don't know about you, but that's hard to do. I have a clan of four people at my house. And it's hard to unite us into one topic of what to eat, right? We got one wants this thing, the other one wants McDonald's. Normally it's like McDonald's versus non-McDonald's is how it comes down to. But, right, we, we, it's hard to be a unified body of four, let alone ten to 15,000 people. And we see here in verse 32 that they were in one heart and soul. Gave away all, uh, gave, gave away, uh, of their possessions and had all, had all things in common. And you think about what can cause unity like that? What could bring people together? And we see this. Luke gives us the answer in verse 32. He says, the multitudes of those who what? Who believed. It was the believers, right? Believed in what? They believed in Peter and John? No, they didn't believe in Peter and John. They could have, but Peter and John wasn't the unifier. It wasn't man that was unifying. The multitudes believed in the gospel and what was being preached. And what was Peter and John preaching? They were preaching Jesus. They were preaching the gospel. That's what they were preaching. See, unity happened with, with them, and it happens with us through what? The gospel. Through Jesus, when you think about it. Is it wasn't that Peter and John were some great ministers, and I bet they were awesome speakers. I bet they were awesome ministers. They were firsthand witnesses of Jesus and what Jesus did in their earthly ministry, right? They were witnesses of it all. They were pretty good preachers. It wasn't that Peter and John had the coolest stage. Uh, Peter and John didn't have the smoke, right, and the lights and the sound and the worship team and the whole band, and they didn't have all these things going on, right? They weren't the mega church on the street corner that was looking good and fancy. They had none of that, but what they did have was they had Jesus. What they did have was they had the gospel, amen? That's what they had. What would bring our world together? What will have an impact from the body of Christ? What will have an impact on unbelievers? You know what it is? It's found in one place, and that's the gospel. That's what would be a unifying factor, right? These believers did not come from the same region. They did not come from the same background. They did not have the, the same customs. They come from different social economics. Some were rich, we know. Some were poor, we know. But pro most probably, uh, uh, they all followed some sort of, of religion practice. 
But religion did not unify them. It did not unify them. They didn't find unity in anything. They didn't find unity in being rich or being poor together. They didn't find unity in social economics or social status. They didn't find unity in none of it. But what they did was they found unity in the gospel. When you think about it. Unity is found in one place. It's the gospel. You see, wars are, are fought over religion, but people are brought together through who? Through Jesus Christ. Amen? Religion causes wars, but Jesus unites. Amen? It's faith in Jesus that united them all. In verse 33, we see, we'll see that the, the apostles keep preaching this message, and the people continue to unite. See, I said this a few weeks ago. They experience unity, but not uniformity. The world is looking for uniformity. They don't want unity. They want you to act the same, talk the same, think the same, speak the same, look the same, feel the same. That's not unity. That's uniformity. The world wants uniformity. The church wants unity, right? Two different things. They had the same mind and that they understood what mattered. You see, that's what we have to focus on. We have to focus on what matters. Amen? Nothing matters other than one thing, and that's Jesus, right? What if we surrendered our lives like that and said, nothing else matters other than Jesus, right? Give me Jesus, right? Like the song says, give me Jesus. That's all that matters, right? I can lose everything. I can lose anything. But really, all that matters in my life is what? Give me Jesus. They were committed, same heart and soul. Let me tell you, unity wasn't created by them. It was created by God. And I said this last week as well. Our job isn't to create unity. Our job is to maintain unity. Right? We, we try to create unity. We can't create unity. We maintain unity. And the only way that we maintain unity is what? Through the gospel. Because of the un you, their unity, their early church regarded people more important than things. And that spoke to my heart this week. Right? It speaks to me before it steps on your toes. It steps on my toes. So regard people more than, than things. Right? See people for who they are. What if we regarded people more important than things? What if we lived for each other instead of lived for thyself? What if we slowed down and saw people for who they are and not what they are? We've all done that before and sped off or took off from a street corner or kind of just I don't want to talk to this individual or that individual when they cross our paths. And we always have this preconceived notion of what they want and not who they are. And we kind of ab uh, uh, abolished or abandoned them on the side when you think about it. See, instead of seeing a homeless person, maybe seeing a, a, a broken person, someone who's, who's yearning for something Right? Instead of seeing a drug addict, see someone who's, who's, who's broken, who needs the love of Christ, right? And we always say, well, I don't want to give you a dollar because all you're going to do is waste it on booze. How about we see somebody for who they are and not what they are? Who they are, they're a creation of God, amen, just like us. And so where do we get uh, 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 where we are, are above them or over them, right? Who are we when we are creations of God? Right? We may walk and be a child of God, but they have the same opportunity. And you know who can give them the opportunity? You and I. Right? And what's the unifying factor in that? It's the gospel. It's Jesus. Amen? Look what Jesus says in John 15. He says, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friend. He says, if you are my friend, 
He goes, you are my friend if you do what I command. And then I thought about James in chapter 1, verse 27, where he writes, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That was a big one right there. You know, we like to, to say we, we, we take care of orphans, we take care of widows, we take care of those people in distress. But then it goes on and says, keep oneself from being polluted by the world. How many of us have been polluted by the world? It's very easy for us to be polluted by the world. How many of us are, are, are like the, the good Samaritan Jesus talked about in Luke 10, right? And not the expert of the law who says, well, who's my neighbor? Jesus says, love your neighbor. Well, who's my neighbor? Right? Do I, do, do, you know, what, if, they, if they're within five feet of me or ten feet of me, can I count that as my neighbor or not my neighbor? If I drive past them on the street corner, can I constitute them as my neighbor or not my neighbor? And we kind of nitpick and we pick and choose of who's our neighbor and who we're going to love and who we're going to reach out to and excluding the fact that they're still my neighbor. That there's still a need to be loved, that they still are a person, that they still are God's creation. See, the world wants us to, 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 to live a separate and divided world. The world wants us to, too busy to where we don't see people any longer. We got to wake up, church. I've been guilty of it. Where I don't see people for people. I see them as a number. I work with the public on a daily basis over phones. And sometimes I make this preconceived notion of, of who's on the other end of the phone. And God has to remind me they're people, Dennis. They're people with hurts and troubles and issues and brokenness. The church is not for, for the healthy. The church is for the broken. We're all broken people including myself. The hospital is not for the, the perfect. It's for the sick. And the same reason is for the church, right? If you have life together, then so be it. But I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to be the first to say, I need God. I need Jesus. Amen? Second thing I want us to see found in verse 32, again, now the NIV says this, now the multitudes of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they all had things in common. Verse 33 says, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. Verse 34 says, that there were no needy person among them, for from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the cells and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Verse 36, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. The second key to unity is unity is experience. It's an experience, right? An established unity becomes an ex experienced unity. Unity wasn't experienced by the, 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 the disciples only. Unity wasn't experienced by the church leaders only. Unity was experienced by every believer that was there. Think about that. Every believer experienced unity. See, unity wasn't experienced by the unbeliever. Unity was experienced by who? By the believer. Amen? That's who experienced unity. See, the unbeliever was trying to tear the church apart. 
the believer was united in the church, amen? They were united in Christ. And there's four things that they experienced. The first one was, was they experienced uh, a unity through their generosity. Through their generosity. The earlier church was a, was a giving church. They were a generous church. When every member shared what happened to the church, they were powerful. When every member shared, right, they were a powerful body. See, unity was not built upon them agreeing on everything. That's, and that's, that's a misconception that we have of unity, is we want to believe that if, for us to be united, we have to think about that. I said this earlier, but that's uniformity and not unity, right? We don't have to agree on every single thing. They had disagreements. They had disagreements, I guarantee you, because there are people just like us, they had disagreements of, of the doctrines. They have uh, philosophical uh, disagreements. They had political, right? We're living in 2021. We have political divides, right? They had division, I guarantee you. But if we're looking for unity on those matters, if we're looking for unity on the, on the political side, if we're looking for unity on the doctrinal side, if we're looking for unity in how we think and how we believe, we're not going to find it. And that's what the world is searching for. We got to be united. You have to believe what I believe. And you have to come together and be united. And that's why the world can't be united. Because they're looking for uniformity. They're not looking for unity. The church is called to be unity, not uniformity. That's what makes the churches great is diversity. Amen? That's what makes the church great. Because if we had the same thing, we all thought the same, we all did the same, guess what? We wouldn't be a body. I said this a few weeks ago. If we were all a hand or a foot, we wouldn't be useful for anything, right? We're called the body of Christ because we do different things. Amen? I don't go up here and play the drums. You don't want me playing the drums. You don't want me singing like, like Francine and Austin, right? You heard me a few weeks ago. I, we had jacked up sound and guess what that wasn't any of them singing that was me singing okay so <laughs> you, you don't want me singing right you don't want me seeing uh, doing the bass or, or or playing a wind instrument like mickey you don't want me out there teaching the children right i mean i, I can teach your children but come on i, I have let no patience for children right I, I mean i love my children but that means i'll be back with them for two more hours right i mean within 24 hours <laughs> you don't want me doing those things because that's what makes us great as the body of Christ is our diversity. Amen? Unity, as Luke described in the early church experience, was an uncommon gospel identity of, of, of radical practice of sharing, of generosity. When you think of generosity, we're always saying, oh, my money, oh, my things, oh, my house, oh, my cars, right? They, we, we think about the, the, the monetary things. We think, well, they, that's what they gave. They gave monetary. They gave up their money. They sold up their possessions. I don't have any possessions. I don't sell my, I don't want to sell my possessions. I want to keep my house. I can keep my car. Good, good, you know what? Keep them. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about generosity as a whole. Everything being generous. They didn't give just monetarily. Every member shared a common way of life. They shared in their time. They shared in their possessions. They shared in their food. They shared in their access. They shared in their lack of. They shared in the burdens. They shared in each other's joys. They shared in their defeats, and they shared in their victory. Everyone was generous. They shared. No one claimed anything belonged to them, right? We've all had those people. No, that's mine, right? Don't touch that. That's mine. You can't have that. I won't let you use this or use that because it's mine. None of that existed because they realized that it was, there was something more important than what they had. 
It was something more important than what was theirs or what was yours. And they shared whenever there was a need. I tell you, God set up this generosity back in Deuteronomy 15, where he says every seven years, right, he says cancel out debt. And somewhere, somewhere along the line, uh, uh, Israel lost its way. But God displayed what the way of generosity was when he gave us Christ Jesus, right? We were sinners. We didn't deserve it. We were lost, right? We, we, were, we, we were people that did not deserve Jesus coming to die upon his cross. But what God said, I'm going to give you my one and only son. I'm going to be generous to you so you can be generous to others. Look what he says in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that through he was rich, right? He was rich. He was in heaven when you think about it. Yet for your sake he became poor, and so that you, were, so, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Amen? Talking about generosity. How many, how many other people we know, right, that would say, I'm going to give up what I got so I can become poor so you can become rich? Right? It'd be nice, right? <laughs> if you want to do it, hey, come on, I'll give you my address, right? <laughs> but that's what Jesus did for us. So God sent his son to, in this world. See, the world sees this generosity as communism. They say, well, you can't give out to anybody. That's, that's, that, that's communism. It wasn't a form of communism. It's a complete opposite. It's a Greek word, koinonia, 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 koinonia. I can say that right. Communism is not that. Communism says what is yours is mine. I'll take it. I'll take it. That's not what the early church practiced. Communism is, is, is taken from someone by force or other means and given to somebody else. Koinonia says this, what is mine is yours, and I'll share it. That's what we need to be as a church. What is yours is Right is mine. What is mine is yours, I should say. And I'll share it. They experience unity through generosity. The second one is they experience unity through God's power. It's through God's power. When the church was united, they, re they received what? God's power, when you think about it. Think about their early church, right? The day of Pentecost, when they were united in one body, one soul, they received the power of of God. Verse 33 says that with great power, the apostles continued to testify. It was with great power. And we have to remember that what Peter and John were just released from jail. They were warned, right? They were threatened. Don't speak about Jesus. Don't teach about Jesus. But it was with great power they continued moving forward. It's just strong against the opposition. It wasn't anything that they did. And sometimes we get this confused church because we say we can't do it. And I've been there and done that where I say I can't do it. But we have to realize that there's no I that, that can't do it, but he can do it. And that's exactly what happened with Peter and John is greater who's in me than he who's in the world. Who is in me is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit can work through me and in me and do whatever he wants uh, 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 in me and through me if we're willing to be the vessel. Amen. We have to be willing to be the vessel to experience God's power again just like generosity the power of god was experienced by all of them and the church started to learn that the the resurrection power right the gospel the resurrection power that raised jesus from the dead was alive and well in them i said this uh, i think a month or two ago that that same power that raised jesus from the dead resides in us it's through the holy spirit the problem is is we don't recognize it the problem is we can't fathom it. 
The problem is because we're trying to put human limitations on the Holy Spirit. But the same Spirit that resided Jesus from the dead resides in us. So now this allowed them not only to preach, but allowed them to give generously. What would happen if we totally surrendered over to God? Like, totally surrendered. You know, just totally 100% surrendered. We're experiencing unity through God's power. The third one, he says, is, is through God's favor. The early church was the recipient of God's grace, which was God's favor, unmerited favor, right? Undeserving, undeserving favor. Favor, we know, is, is, is God's grace upon our lives, but you should Google the word favor. You know what that means? Approval, approval. When we say we have God's favor, what we're saying is God has approved of our lives. I have God's favor. That means that God approves in our lives. Are we living a life that is worthy of saying, I approve? Are we doing that? Or do we put, our, our, put it in our own words that we have God's favor, but really we just say that because it makes us look better? I tell you what, we'll see what happens when we say things that make us look better in just a minute in chapter 5. Better watch what you say, right? I know a lot of people who they're favored by God until you say something wrong, and then all of a sudden their favor goes out the window when they get a little carnal. <laughs> they ain't living by the approval of God. See, we make, we're people, we make mistakes, we, we, there, there's issues, but let me tell you, if we're walking around saying I'm highly favored by God, you better say I highly, God highly approves of my, my, my behavior on a daily basis, right? Not just 9 to 5, not just from 10 to 12 on Sunday, right? 24-7. We're highly favored by God, we better live it, amen? They experience blessing, not only as they receive, but also as they gave freely. The fourth one we see is to this dude Barnabas, man, Barnabas, Barnabas example. The last two verses, it's amazing, you know, the last two verses, and then we see the verse, the verse, the, the first eleven verses of chapter five here in a second. But the last two verses of this man named Barnabas. They say his name is Joseph, right? And they nickname, hey Barnabas, right? <laughs> I would think like, you know, wait, wait a minute, I like the name Joseph instead. Call me Joe, you know. <laughs> Barnabas, the, the, and, and this was given to them, given to him by, by the apostles, Barnabas, the name Barnabas. Barnabas means son of encouragement. Barnabas was an encourager. Look what Barnabas did. Acts 4 verse 37 says, he sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. See, Barnabas was the face of a movement. Barnabas exemplified what was happening in the early church. Barnabas was the example of unity. Barnabas was a foreigner. He was a foreigner, right? And he gave himself. Himself, he gave all his, he gave his property. He gave his all. And he didn't give it to Peter and, and John. We're not called to give it to some man. We're called to give it to God because it was God to begin with. Amen. That's who blesses us. We have to realize that it comes from God, and so we give it back to God. It's not a big deal because it was never ours in the beginning. Amen? He didn't give it to Peter and John. He gave it all to God. You know, I find it interesting that sometimes we look at this, and we look at it as a requirement. Oh, he was required to sell his field. He was required to give in a generosity manner. He wasn't required to do anything. Then nothing that says Joseph, Barnabas, you are required to do this. 
There's nothing that says in the book uh, of Acts that he was required to sell his possessions. He was required to give it to the apostles. Verse 37 tells us that Barnabas sold a field he owned, and he brought the money before the apostles. So we know the story of the rich young ruler who refused to sell everything. Right? He wanted to inherit eternal life. And, and Jesus says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. And the rich young ruler walked away sad. Why? Because he didn't want to sell his possessions. See, it's not about selling possessions. It's not about giving up money. You know what it comes down to and it boils down to this? It comes down to the condition of our hearts. It comes down to the condition of our hearts. See, Barnabas was a man of compassion. Barnabas had a, had a heart of generosity. And we'll see the opposite in chapter 5. Where's our heart at? Are we a Barnabas? Are we one that, that just, that would give? And I'm not talking, like again, I'm not talking just about monetarily. I'm talking about in every aspect of our lives. Are we a Barnabas? And there's no coincidence that Luke puts these examples back to back. Because he, he looked at the first, the last two verses of chapter 4. And then he goes into chapter 5. He says, now. Right? <laughs> he says, that's a good example, right? He says, you know, you know exactly what Barnabas did. And Luke says, now, now look at this. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife, Sapphira, also sold a piece of property with his wife's full knowledge. He kept back part of the money for himself but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God, he says. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. Great fear seized all who heard what had happened. And some young man came forward, wrapped his body, and carried him out back and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, this is the price. So I walked in there and said, where's my husband at? He's in here somewhere. No, not no more. He's about, about back. <laughs> Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the man who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. Peter says, I know this story. I've seen the end before. You did. <laughs> in that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young man came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. The third thing I want us to see about unity it was endangered. Unity was endangered. The early church wasn't perfect. They had their issues. We have our issues. We're not perfect. Even with the Holy Spirit among us, even with the Holy Spirit among them, Satan's still at work. Right? I said it earlier, we always say, you know, but I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Christ. How can this happen? Satan's still a little conniving dude that's trying to kill, steal, and destroy. 
regardless of who we are in Christ, right? Doesn't, doesn't, he takes rejection quite well, right? Because he'll keep on, and he'll keep on, and he'll keep on, and he'll keep on. No different than today, Ananias and his wife wanted to be a Barnabas. They wanted so desperately to be recognized and receive what Barnabas received. They wanted the recognition. They wanted to, to be righteous just like Barnabas. They wanted to be praised for their righteous acts. But all they were was spiritual posers. God isn't interested in spiritual posers. And they, just like Barnabas, were not forced to sell anything. Nowhere in Luke chapter, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 5 said that they were forced to sell their land. Nowhere in Acts chapter 5 said they were forced to give the 100% proceeds to the church. It was all voluntarily. The problem was Ananias and his wife pretended to play the part. They pretended to give everything while holding back a percentage of it. They wanted a reputation of, reputation of Barnabas without having the compassion of Barnabas. The issue is not that they kept something back that wasn't the issue the issue was they lied about it and it wasn't lying to peter it was lying to god that's harsh sometimes we say oh it's just a little white lie but who are we hurting ourselves we're lying to god when you think about it they wanted to look like they gave everything and when given the opportunity to correct it they said oh yeah that's everything it wasn't that Peter was demanding more. It was they walked up to Peter and said, oh, guess what I did, right? Big-chested, pompous, walked over and said, guess what I did? I sold my property, right? So here's $60,000. And Peter wasn't dumb. He probably thought, if you made $60,000 on that, man, you sold it for cheap, right? <laughs> and he asked them, hey, you know, and I'm giving everything. I can guarantee you, they walked in and said, I'm giving everything to God, holding back some. Peter said, how dare you lie? It wasn't that, hey, listen, I want to give X amount. And that's what I want to give. It was, I'm giving it all. Right? It's like us saying, I'm totally sold out for God. But only 70% of me is. What are we doing? We're lying to God. Lying to ourselves. We're lying to God. Unity isn't about making oneself look better. Unity is not about upping each other like, like uh, Ananias and his wife did or tried to do. And they didn't up anything. They were about six feet under. <laughs> Unity isn't about wanting recognition of what we've done or what we've accomplished. Unity is about one thing. It's about Christ, right? And it starts in, in, in the heart. They flat out lied. And they lied together. Given opportunity. They gave his wife an opportunity that's all you got? Yep, that's everything. Gave him an opportunity to tell the truth. And she still chose to lie. Matthew 16, 25 to 20, 26 tells us, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. And what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Say that to Ananias and Sapphira. They lost their life physically, literally 
lost their life trying to save us. Gained the whole world, but they lost their soul. My challenge for us this morning is, are we a Barnabas or are we an Ananias? Will we be people united on the gospel or will we be people divided, holding on to the world and lose our soul? Jesus says in Matthew 10, 39, he says, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you'll find it. Isn't that generosity? He gave up everything to give us everything. And the least we can do is give everything back to him. Amen? When we stop trying to impress the world and search for Jesus, that's when we find real life. The real meaning of life, give up on the world. Search after Jesus. Community of unity happens when we are willing to give our life over to Jesus. Not by Ananias, that says, I give it by word, but not by action. I give 100%, but in reality, I give 70%. How many of us have been in that boat? Where I've given God 100%. And I said that with my words, but my actions prove differently. That's important for us to recognize, to say, you know what, God? I haven't given the 100%. I haven't went full tilt. I haven't sold out. I haven't been the Barnabas. I've been the Ananias. The only way that we become a community of unity is we say, you know what? 100%. Let's go after God. Amen? Stand with me as I close in prayer. We say this week in and week out, but if you need prayer, you know, we're available up front. But if you're at home and you need prayer, you don't, don't hesitate. Send us a message on Facebook. You're there already. You know, email, phone, text us, call us, whatever it may be. Because we are a community of what? Of unity. Amen. Heavenly Father, I come before you today, Lord, and I pray, Lord, that we become the Barnabas. Lord, that we're not posers. We're not... Ananias is who, 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 who by words say one thing, but by action do the other. Lord, you put these bookends together in the end of chapter 4 to beginning of chapter 5 to compare and contrast what you want in your church and really what you don't want. Lord, convict our hearts, Heavenly Father, if we haven't been going 100% to you, Lord. Convict our hearts, Heavenly Father, if we haven't been generous in, in every aspect of our lives, Heavenly Father. I ask you, Heavenly Father, that you do only what, what you can do in and through us, Lord. Let it not be our doing, but let it be yours, Heavenly Father. Lord, we come before you today, Heavenly Father, as people, Lord, that have issues and troubles and problems, concerns and worries, Heavenly Father. Lord, but I pray, Heavenly Father, that we start looking at it as your will be done in our lives. Lord, and as your will be done in our lives, Lord, the the access, the unnecessary, everything else gets shed to the wayside where we can focus on you, Heavenly Father. I pray, Heavenly Father, as our early church was so powerful, as they were united together in community, Heavenly Father, allow that to be the stance of New Life Community Church. Allow that, Heavenly Father, to have an impact, Lord, because it's found only in one way, and that's through you, Lord Jesus. So I pray right now, Lord, for the ones that need to recommit their life to you, that we do it right now. For the ones that have never committed your life, committed their life to you, I pray, Lord, that they do it right now.
is by a simple prayer saying, Lord, forgive me. Come into my heart. Make a change. Allow me to be the Barnabas, Lord. Or my, my name might be Joseph, Lord, but you've given me a new name. You've given me a new walk. You've given me a new life. And we thank you for that, Lord. And I pray that, we, that, that you're with us, Lord, throughout this week, Lord. Continue to protect us. Continue to keep us safe. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church says, amen. God bless the church. We'll see you next Sunday. Have a good one.